Hey, Bard listeners. If you live in New York City and love the public library, we need your help. This past fall, our public libraries sustained deep mid-year cuts that forced an end of seven-day service and reduction of our materials and programs. We're now facing more budget cuts for the coming fiscal year. Libraries across the city stand to lose $58.3 million in funding. If these cuts are not reversed, we may have to reduce materials and programming yet again, including further reductions to our days of service. As many as half of all New York City libraries would be open only five days a week. The good news is you can help. Send a letter to city leaders telling them that you support the library. It's easy. It only takes 30 seconds and you can do it now. If you live in Brooklyn, go to BKLYNlibrary.org slash standup, all one word, to fill out the form. If you live in any of the other boroughs, you can send a letter on behalf of Queens Public Library or New York Public Library. Learn how at investinlibraries.org. Thank you so much for your support. Hi, Borrowed listeners. I wanted to reintroduce Haling, my co-host on the last episode and a librarian here at Central Library. Hello again. And we have a new co-host, Damaris Olivo, Director of Communications at BPL. Hey, Damaris. Hi. Glad to be here. So this is the second part of our two-part episode about asylum seekers in New York City. And this episode is going to be a little bit different. This is actually our first ever bilingual episode. So half will be in English and half in Spanish. Este es nuestro primer episodio bilingüe. Parte será en inglés y parte en español. So for this episode, Haling and I will narrate in English. Y Damaris y yo grabaremos la narración en español. Eso será publicado como un episodio separado en nuestro feed de Podcast Borrow. Haga clic ahí si le gustaría escuchar el episodio en español. Since we recorded this episode, the landscape has changed. Title 42, the federal pandemic-era rule that allowed migrants to be turned away at the border, ended last week. Governor Hochul declared a state of emergency as New York City expects as many as 1,000 migrants and asylum seekers to arrive each day. Mayor Adams has suspended the city's right-to-shelter law that guarantees every unhoused New Yorker a place to sleep and endeavors to keep families together. We're sharing these personal narratives to offer a window into the experience of migrants in Brooklyn in this moment and our community's response to this continuing crisis. So now we'll get to the story. I'm Virginia Marshall. I'm Damaris Olivo. Y yo soy Helene Oropesa. Están escuchando Borrowed, cuentos que empiezan en la biblioteca. <laughs> on a gray afternoon in early April, Virginia and I stood on the corner of 4th Avenue and Bay Ridge Parkway in Brooklyn. We were there to meet Cynthia. Yeah, I am Cynthia Santos Briones. Uh, we are in um, Good Shepherd Lutheran Church in Bay Ridge. I am an artist and also community organizer, and I have been uh, working as a member of the New Century Movement, but also uh, part of my family was undocumented too, a long time ago. Cynthia is one of Brooklyn Public Library's first heritage ambassadors, a new library program that nurtures practitioners of folk arts in Brooklyn and provides space at the library where they can share their knowledge with patrons. Cynthia put together a program on traditional plants and art making for the library and brought in members of the Bay Ridge community. I always think about how to connect people that don't have um, the resources or, don't, or they don't know how to approach to a library because they don't speak English. You know, my role it could be a, as, a, as a bridge, 
know, to bring those people into the libraries. We decided to meet Cynthia at the Lutheran Church of the Good Shepherd rather than at the library because of the work that the church has been doing to support people seeking asylum. And Cynthia has a deep connection to Good Shepherd. My husband, Juan Carlos, came in to work as a senior pastor to the church in 2018. And I will say, like, maybe since that period of time, the church started working around the issue of migration in different levels. He didn't cross the border, but he was undocumented in all his family. So when these anti-immigrant laws and policies touch you, touch your body, your mind, your emotional cycle, you have, at some point you have to work in this, you know, you have to be involved. We met Cynthia outside the church on a Thursday, which meant that inside, legal services were being offered to asylum seekers. And there are many programs and services that happen at Good Shepherd too, like food and clothing distribution, art and music classes, English lessons, and so much more. People give you the clue of where you have to go, you know, as an institution. It's like, we, we need food, we need uh, legal support, we need advice about domestic violence. Desde hace tres años empezamos a repartir despensa, comida, han sido vegetales, carne fría a veces. This is Lily, a volunteer with Good Shepherd. She's been in charge of food distribution at the church since the pandemic began. The church serves between 50 and 200 people every single day, sometimes with tacos and burritos donated by the Mexican restaurant Tacombi, and the rest of the time with food prepared in the church's kitchens from donated vegetables and meat. Lily, as with everyone working in the kitchen, is a volunteer. Ayudamos un poco. Eh, somos voluntarios. Todos somos voluntarios. Entonces me han puesto como al frente de, de repartir la comida, la despensa. Uh-huh. Y he sido encargada de eso por... Mm, eh, no han sido los tres años. Most of the volunteers are recently arrived migrants, helping out as they wait to get established in America. There are also longtime members of the Bay Ridge community who have greater resources and free time. There's truly a spirit of mutual aid at the church, the sense that people are giving and receiving in equal measure and working as community to hold each other up. We said goodbye to Lily and followed Cynthia inside the church. At the doorway, three adorable little kids looked up at us, giggling. Cynthia bent down to talk to them. Are you siblings, she asked. We're cousins, they said. Cynthia continued talking with them as she held up her phone to take a picture. Cynthia has had her photographs feature everywhere from the New York Times to Greenwood Cemetery. She has documented people living in sanctuary spaces through photographs, oral histories, and other art projects. We'll put a link to her website on our episode webpage so you can see her work. Inside the church, there were about 150 to 200 people. Kids were playing with toys while their parents sat at tables, looking pretty tired. Every so often, a volunteer came around with a tray of peanut butter cracker sandwiches, cookies, or a piece of bread with cream cheese and a cherry tomato on top. And most families were there for the legal clinic. But while they waited, there was a rare chance to rest and eat some food, 
talk with friends, and just be in a safe, welcoming place for a few hours. Okay. Anything else? Algo más? That's Pastor Juan Carlos Ruiz, Cynthia's husband and the leader of this community. He introduced us in Spanish and said that if anyone wanted to talk with us, they could feel free to do so. (laughs) It didn't take long for a woman to wave us over, and we sat down at her table. This is Valentina, a small woman with careful eyeliner and short black hair. She sat next to her two children, Maria, who is elementary school age, and Eduardo, a teenager. We spoke with Valentina, her kids, and her friend Gabriela for about an hour. We are not using their real names in order to protect their privacy. Valentina and Gabriela shared their stories of migrating from South America on foot, trains, and buses, all the way to the Mexican-American border. Both women were warm and kind, and they decided to share their stories with us so that listeners can understand what they've gone through to get here. And a heads up that these stories might be difficult to hear. Valentina, Gabriela, and their children experienced abuse, deprivation, and many other hardships to get here. And now they are trying to make a life for themselves in the United States. In order to preserve the authenticity of their narratives, we are going to play excerpts from their interviews in Spanish, so you can hear their stories in their own words and language. If you like, you can go to bklynlib.org slash asylum to read a translation of their stories in English. Up first is Valentina. Pasé por muchas situaciones tristes como muchos pasan para venir. Pasé por la selva donde vi muchas personas muertas, mucha gente que sufría, mucha gente que ya no avanzaba a caminar. Pero lo más doloroso es que usted quiere ayudar y ayuda, pero como usted tiene que seguir, tiene que dejarles atrás. Tengo un niño que es especial, él tiene autismo, pero cuando yo vine... Él tenía mala rodillita, entonces él no podía caminar. Unos días antes nosotros teníamos que cargarle en la espalda para irnos a cualquier lado, así. Entonces a mí me decían que no le lleve a él, que le deje, pero yo no tenía con quién dejarle, entonces le vine trayendo. Valentina talked about leaving her home country and walking through the jungle for days, passing by dead and dying people. Her son Eduardo has autism. He was sitting next to Valentina at the table, putting together a Lego airplane. He came over to speak. Yo vine acá por por mi mamá y por mí y por mi hermana, porque acá íbamos a hacer una nueva vida. Hemos pasado por mucho, pasamos por la selva, que fue bien feo. Ahí había muchos muertos. Yo vi un muerto ahí, ahí también gritaban. Pasamos por piedras. El, el, eh, nos picaban. Se moría del frío y yo y mi mamá y yo solo teníamos una sábana para cobijarnos, eso no calentaba nada. 
Eduardo described riding on top of La Bestia, also called El Tren de la Muerte, the death train. Those are the names many migrants use for the network of freight trains that travel across Mexico. Eduardo said he was freezing as he and his family rode on top of the train for three days. Next, Gabriela told her story. Eh, así como dice la compañera, nosotros somos de una familia bastante, bastante pobre. Eh, nuestro país es un país eh, hermoso también, nuestro país. Lo que pasa es que más antes había como que un poquito más de posibilidades, pero ahorita con, eh, la presidente, con el presidente que estamos, yo lo veo que estamos perdiendo a nuestro país porque ya entró también la mafia y hay mucha, mucha, mucha corrupción, ya no, ya no podemos estar como antes. Cruzamos igual la selva, fue muy, fue muy feo, yo me demoré cuatro días, cuatro días en la selva. Nuestro mejor, mejor compañía fue Dios, fue Jesús, Él estuvo con nosotros cada momento, pero hubo momentos que en verdad ya nos daba mucho miedo. Eh, yo pensaba que a ellas les iban a violar, que a mis hijas les iban a violar, porque estábamos dentro de un bosque. Imagínense, ellos armados y nosotros sin nada. Pues. María also wanted to talk, and she spoke while leaning into her mother, Valentina. She described sleeping on the streets of a Mexican city during their journey north and the cockroaches that came into their cardboard boxes. Dormimos ahí como 10, 20 días con las cucarachas que me daban miedo porque son muy feas, con las arañas, con todo eso. Y un día nos acostamos donde eh, dormíamos en cartones y un día nos acostamos donde o sea, hacían pipí. Y ahí nos habíamos acostado, pero no nos habíamos acordado. The family eventually made it to the border and crossed into the United States. Eduardo talked about the detention centers where he and his family were held and then separated. Primera cárcel no nos separaron, era bien feo, solo no se notaba ni el ni la hora, no nos decían la hora, ni el día, no se no se notaba que era era de noche, si era de día. Nos dieron solo una 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 cama, era como una colchoneta era. Nos dieron como un, una cobija así de plástico, no era de plástico, era de... Bueno, no nos dieron, pero cal, no nos calentó eso porque ahí hacía frío. Ahí era una prisión donde mi, mi mamá y mi hermana me separaron de ella. Le, a mí me pusieron en un cuarto muy alejado de mi mamá. Eventually, the two families made it to New York. Here's Valentina again. Que en Nueva York te van a ayudar, vas a ir a un albergue. Yo, mándeme donde sea, pues yo no tengo donde llegar, pues mándeme donde sea. Y Dios me trajo aquí y hizo una bendición y un testimonio para contar. Yo no tengo más familia, mamás, papás, no se tiene, solo somos nosotros, porque cuando yo más necesité, a mí nadie me ayudó cuando pedía dinero que me ayuden para salir y no dormir en la calle, porque dormí mucho tiempo en la calle hasta llegar acá. Y Dios me dio la oportunidad de estar aquí, pero también espero que Dios me ponga muchas personas de bendición para poder que nuestro sueño se haga realidad, más el mío solo quiero trabajar y pagar. No quiero una casa, para que una casa, un terreno, algo material. Cuando yo me muera, no voy llevando la casa en la, en la tumba. No solo quiero que ellos se acuerden de mí, que yo hice lo humanamente posible y saque adelante a mis hijos. Por decir a mí me regalan esto para mí Dios le pague, yo no exijo. Y si recojo así ropitas para mandar a mis hijos, porque nosotros vivimos de una pobreza muy grande. Entonces por eso sí yo quiero que Dios me bendiga y cuando ya esté un poquito bien me ponga un escritor para poderle contar mi historia y para que mi historia sea leída y así sea la reflexión de muchas mujeres y de muchas personas y de jóvenes también.
porque yo he vivido lo que es en mi país, un sueño del hijo de la señora y un sueño de mi hijo, aunque tiene su discapacidad, pero será posible que sí puedan ser, pertenecer a Estados Unidos y ser militares, es el sueño que él viene también a hacer, pero él vuelta quiere ser de las armas. Valentina said that while both her and Gabriela's sons aspire to serve the United States military, she and Gabriela simply want the opportunity to work hard and improve their lives for the sake of their children. After we thanked Valentina, Gabriela, Maria, and Eduardo for their stories, it was time for the legal clinic to begin. Pastor Juan Carlos asked the kids to pick up the toys and had everyone rearrange to make space for the volunteers. Juan Carlos is the kind of person who is constantly in motion, constantly answering questions and making decisions. He's one of the co-founders of the New Sanctuary Movement, a network of faith-based organizations that came together in 2006 to defend immigrant families from being torn apart by deportation and to advocate for immigration reform. Despite the many demands on his time, Pastor Juan Carlos found a moment to speak with us. He said the group we saw in the sanctuary that day was actually smaller than average for a Thursday evening. At one point, the Lutheran Church of the Good Shepherd provided shelter to as many as 40 families at a time. You have to remember that we have gone through global pandemics. For about a year and a half, we were helping about 3,000 families per week. With grocery care packages, so you're talking about you know, bags of about 50 pounds with vegetables, grains, just the basic necessities. At any given time, for over a year and a half, we had about 50 to 100 volunteers working, you know, for 8 to 12 hours a day. So we haven't closed one day yet. I was just going to ask, you know, how do you and I guess your community, how do you keep it going, like keep helping each other? You know, COVID taught us that this self-care doesn't really work. It has to be more community care, you know, because at that time, I don't know if you remember, but kind of the hospitals were collapsing and any kind of traditional health care was kind of going under. So we had to kind of change the mode. So we began having like sound bath therapies, we still have acupuncture. So we had, we began kind of thinking outside of the box and doing stuff that will keep us, you know, humane and in touch and connected to the larger community and to our own families and friends. What is something you would want listeners to know and how they can help out? Because it looks like there, there's a lot of ways, but I would love to hear from you. Uh, we work from this sense that you know, if you want to come and help us, stay home then. But if you want to come and help us as a way of collaborating with us, as a way of knowing that whoever comes right now, uh, you know, it's about their liberation and they want to join us on that struggle, on that front, you are more than welcome mm. to join us. Because a lot of the people that we serve and that we walk with, we accompany, are basically seeking justice. So it's no charity that we are asking people to engage in. So it's something a lot more deeper and more humane. 
You know, there is so much going on at the Lutheran Church of the Good Shepherd that it's easy to forget that it's still a church. Yeah, no, that's so true. Um, And, you know, we happen to be visiting on not just any Thursday, but Holy Thursday. So in addition to everything that was happening, um, Pastor Juan Carlos was going to have a special service, and he was actually going to officiate a wedding during that service. Mm -hmm. It's a way to bend the law. Uh, for the service of humanity, of people. Uh, a lot of the people are not, uh, you know, married. And sometimes their cases being separated, you are more at risk because there is a law nationally that kind of protects the family unity. So we are basically t- telling people, if you are not married and you've been living with your spouse, hey, this is your chance. I mean, and this is a very concrete way of caring for your partner. You know, get married. Before he went back up to the sanctuary, Pastor Juan Carlos led us down a hallway to meet more volunteers. There is another kitchen. Okay, oh, okay. all right. This is where everything else happens. Hey oh, it smells good. In the kitchen, there were nearly a dozen volunteers at work, preparing chicken, chopping vegetables, and most impressively, decorating an intricate pastry with real roses dipped in glitter. Puede decir lo que es. Ah, ese es un dulce de frambuesa con crema pastelera. Ah, se ve delicioso. For the wedding. The pastry is called milojas, and it was as delicious as it looked. Mm-hmm. We got to try some layers of thin pastry with a sweet cream filling. The man who made the dessert was the pastry chef back in Colombia. Yeah, it was so good. I mm-hmm. loved that. Um, and we got to meet a few of the other volunteers, including a woman named Jerley, who was pregnant. Mia, she said, pointing to her belly. Jerley was there with her partner, Francisco, who was asking us whether we knew of courses where he could get a license to drive a truck, because that's how he made his living back in Colombia. Francisco and Jerley were helping to cook. They've been volunteering every day, cooking multiple meals a day while they wait to get settled in Brooklyn. Her dream is to open a restaurant with traditional Colombian food, but she has to wait, she says, pointing to her belly again, for the baby. Maybe later. Yes, of course. Borrowed is brought to you by Brooklyn Public Library. This episode was written and hosted by me and Haleen. Our Borrowed team is made up of Adra Aduse, Fritzi Bodenheimer, Robin Lester Kenton, Damaris Olivo, and Ali Post. Jennifer Prophet and Ashley Gill run our social media. Our music composer is Billy Libby. Meryl Friedman designed our logo. We also want to thank everyone at the Lutheran Church of the Good Shepherd, especially Cynthia Briones and Pastor Juan Carlos Ruiz. 
If you want to read this episode in either English or Spanish, visit brooklynlibrary.org slash podcast. You can also translate our website into 21 languages. At BPL, we will continue to provide support to all people without a home and people seeking refuge. Our bookmobile and outreach staff have been visiting shelters, hotels, and humanitarian relief centers in Brooklyn, where migrants and asylum seekers are being temporarily housed. We sign folks up for library cards, provide books, and connect people to services with our partner organizations. Many of these initiatives are funded by the city, so we are asking our listeners to stand up for libraries and protect our funding. You can send a letter to your city leaders or donate to BPL. Visit BKLYNlibrary.org slash stand up to learn how. As the migrant crisis evolves, there will be many people needing help pursuing their immigration cases. The city has put together a series of explainer videos in Spanish about how to navigate all of that. We'll put a link to those videos on our website. If you are seeking legal help with your immigration case, you can call the city's Office of Immigrant Affairs at 212-788-7654. Catholic Charities is also providing services and legal help to asylum seekers. Their number is 888-744-7900. If you want to help, join or support your local community organizations. You can also volunteer at your local library, especially if you speak more than one language. Visit BKLYNlibrary.org slash support to learn more. If you live in New York City, there are mutual aid groups in almost every neighborhood that you can join. If you are already part of a faith or community organization that wants to help migrants and asylum seekers, you can register with the city's Office of Faith and Community Partnerships so they can more easily connect people with the help they need. We'll put links to that website and a list of mutual aid groups in New York City on our episode webpage. Thanks for listening. We'll be back in your ears in a few weeks.